Very good question, Kerwin. I will use that question. <laughs> if you had interviewed Osama bin Laden, what would you ask him? How important is family to you in your life? Well, I'm not good at marriage. <laughs> I was going to stay away from that one. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray. And today I got schooled. Oh my God, I am super pumped to bring you this episode with Larry King. Larry King by name, King by nature. He has conducted over 60,000 interviews, including seven US presidents, and has over 62 years in the broadcast business. Larry King is considered to be broadcast royalty. And in this episode, I feel incredibly privileged to be the very first person that had the opportunity to speak to him since having a stroke, which by the way, at age of 74, even after having a stroke, this man was sharp as a tack. He was sharp as a razor blade and quick as a whip. We discuss why he doesn't prepare for the interviews that he does, which I tell you right now was a great insight for me, his most memorable interviews and how he actually got into broadcasting in the first place, his proudest achievements which will be one that most people probably won't expect, and his toolbox for interviewing. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty stoked. I actually had the opportunity to ask him a question that Larry had never been asked before. My goal whenever I interview anyone is to ask questions that no one's ever asked. We talk about how he navigates the process of the interview and also what questions he would ask if he ever got the opportunity to interview. Check out this one, Osama Bin Laden or Hitler, who he most admires in broadcasting and what he wants his legacy to be. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an absolute honor and a real pleasure. I, I have to tell you, I was completely blown away by this man's humility, but his brain is so sharp. His wit is so on point, and this has probably been one of the proudest moments of my very short broadcasting career. Listen up, Larry King for you. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com so ladies and gentlemen it is a real honor and a massive pleasure to welcome to the stage larry king King by name, king by nature. Thank you so much for coming on. You're so flipped over this, aren't you? It's, <laughs> it's, I can tell just the way you're so excited. I mean, there are moments in a person's life when they really feel it. And I, I know, Kerwin, you feel it this moment. Oh, I do. Um, yeah, as I say to you, when, I, um, when we just arrived, I hadn't planned to come back to LA. I've just spent time in LA than in Hawaii. But the moment I found out that, uh, that you were available, I was just like, I moved everything. My pleasure. It's an honor. And look, for someone who's lived such an incredible life, and you know, there are so many things that I want to ask you. And as I was saying earlier, I don't normally prepare for an interview. And so this is actually the first interview I've ever done a little bit of preparation for. But the irony was I found out that you don't prepare for any of yours for, for the same reasons. But when I think about your life, Larry, I think about someone who's not only lived an incredible life full of the most amazing experiences, but those experiences have really been made even richer 
by the opportunity to, I guess, in many ways, get inside some of the most incredible minds that we've had in our time. Well, I think of all, yeah, I guess of all the famous people, interesting people I've had a chance to sit with, I, I tell it's, well, 62, 63 years of doing this. And so I, I've, I've stepped in the shadow of great people. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it is a great, I'm not kidding, it's a great life. I got no complaints about my 62 years in the broadcasting business. And of, and of, and of the Nelson Mandela's to the Frank Sinatra's to the, but I discovered along the way, they all put their pants on one leg at a time. Is that one thing that you really identified it through everyone that you've interviewed that everyone is ultimately? Everyone is human. I try yeah. to get to the human side. I, I don't prepare, like you said, you don't prepare. If I found early on that if I read a book and the author was coming on, I had no interest in the book anymore because I read it. So what if I didn't read it? And therefore, I don't have to ask what were you saying on page 84, because I didn't read page one. And that fascinated me. That worked to my advantage, the less I knew. Now, Mike Wallace was a dear friend of mine, a great broadcaster. And he worked the more he knew. And he would get volumes on a person, volumes. So we had a long discussion once, and he said, well, you, you don't, you don't get anything out of person. I said, no. Now, we don't have all day to interview. So no one's going to do the greatest interview ever done. Yeah. Right? You work, the, the secret is work to your best. What works best for you and what works best for me is the least I know. Less I know. I'll give you a perfect example. Please. I'm in Miami and, um, they arranged for me to interview the founder of the hydrogen bomb, Dr. Edward Afghazi. But he founded the hydrogen bomb and he was doing a visiting professorship at the University of Miami. And they invited him to come and speak and their friend there, my friend of mine was a professor, urged him to do it. A very Germanic No, Sit down, he says, what do you know about physics? What do you know? I said, nothing. If you're unhappy, you can leave. He says, okay, on that bargain, I'll do this. And my first question to him was, why Dr. Teller, Edward Teller, why, when we were in school, did we hate physics? Why when it comes to taking physics, we dreaded it. And he goes, because they teach it wrong. It shouldn't be called physics. It should be called life. Physics, now, now, now I finish a half hour with him. And he says to me, why didn't you tell me you know about physics? <laughs> <laughs> and that was a great honor to me because yeah. I knew nothing about it. So I love interviewing people who are so removed from me that like what you're doing now, you're interviewing someone who is in your ballpark. I like people out of my ballpark. I like the physicists mm. and, the, and the entrepreneurs and the people who have done things in a field I know nothing about. And I get more curious about that. Curiosity 
is um, Donald Trump said, make America great again. I would have said, make America curious again. Curiosity is the founding of all I do. And, and the trouble with being curious, I don't know if this happens to you, Colin. You begin to be curious about everything. Yeah. You know, why did they do this? Why did they do that? Why did they put this there? Why is he over there? Why? Why are we here? Why are we here? And yeah. it drives kids crazy, your, yeah. your children. And I guess that kind of provokes a lot of other questions. And you're most well known for being, you know, one of the greatest interviewers that ever lived. Um, and as I read about you, I, I uncovered more than I even knew up until this point. But I, I, there was no one individual that I could drill down on to go, okay, what was it like to interview this person or that person? So in, what I'm curious to know is, out of all of the interviews that you've done, over 60,000 interviews, is that right? Yeah, 60, that's what 000? they figure, yeah. Yeah. Who has been the most memorable and why? That is so hard yeah, to do. Yeah, um, Well, certainly... Sinatra, because he was hard to get. Uh, if you got someone hard to get that doesn't do interviews, and then you got him, that was it. But I, you know, I knew show business. You have to break it down. Show business: the Jackie Gleasons, the Frank Sinatras, politics, seven American presidents, uh, philosophy. It, it's hard to. I'll tell you one. I, I, they tell me that our guest tonight is a policeman who was shot in Central Park and he is paralyzed from the neck down. He can't hold his three-year-old son. He's still with the police force as a public relations. He comes in the studio, this is a local studio in uh, Washington. And uh, I, naturally, what happened? He said, McDowell was his name. I was driving in my squad car through Central Park, and there were reports of a series of stolen bicycles. So they, you know, had the police watch out for them. And he said, I was driving, and there's this black kid with a brand new Schwinn, a brand new shiny Schwinn bike. So I got out, walked up to him, and said, how'd you get that Schwinn? And he shot me. And I'm lying in the ambulance and get the last rites and everything, and I managed to live paralyzed for life. So I asked when I was in my wheelchair and getting and feeling myself again, I'd like to go see the kid. I'd like to talk to him. So they bring him down. The kid is not in a life sentence because the officer wasn't killed. And he said to the kid, why'd you shoot me? They looked up the records, the kid was an A student. And the kid said, well, my brother is having some tough times. And he had this gun and he said, this gun was stolen, I gotta leave town, hold the gun for me. And he just gave it to me that morning, so I was holding it that morning. And I had no intention of shooting you but I just did because you were the 10th cop to stop me that day and ask, how did you get this bike? And he, so I, I you put yourself in a position of mm. understanding that kid. Mm. How could you have a new Schwinn? You're a black kid. Now the conclusion of the story is 
the top adopted the kid, and the kid is now a cop. So when you say memorable interviews, yeah. that's a memorable interview. But I've had, I, so I can't pick out one. I can't pick out one. Look, I'd love to know the origins of your story, um, but in the time that we've got, I guess the question is, how did you get into doing what you do? Did I you never know- wanted anything else. For when, when I was five years old, I wanted to be on the radio. I used to imitate radio announcers. There'd be programs of the shadow nose, and I would actually go in to another room and do a shadow nose. I wanted it so bad. And when I was a kid, I would visit radio shows that had studio audiences. And some, I even, they let me come when there was no one. It was a strictly studio, no audience. And I was fascinated by microphones and how people sound. I didn't know I'd be an interviewer. I thought I'd be a baseball announcer. I love baseball. And I thought I would, Red Barber was a Dodger announcer and he was like a hero to me. But I got into it in a great way. I was working at a station in Miami. I was a disc jockey, playing music, and a restaurant. Wanted someone to do a show in the mid-mornings in the restaurant when restaurants aren't busy, 10 to 11 in the morning. I went and did that show. And the first time I started to interview people, God, that's all I wanted to do. You just knew. Bobby Darren came on and... Ed Sullivan and a whole bunch of famous people started coming to this show. And again, they weren't booked. I didn't know who would walk in the door. And that became to me, I said, this is a lifetime. This is it. I'm learning. Was this when you were doing that in a restaurant? Yeah. Is that correct? And so the way that your schedule worked is whoever walked into the restaurant? Uh-huh. You well, interview- I'd interview waiters. I'd interview visiting uh, people from conventions. Jimmy Hoffa yeah. oh, came in. And it was duck soup. It was just, it was a wonderful, it wasn't the, all the money in the world, but it was a great way to learn. And I was learning on the job. Were there any times in your life where challenges kind of stepped in to the point where you thought you weren't going to be able to do this? The only time was recently when I, I had this weird, it wasn't an accident, I had a stroke. And I was uh, driving in my car, as the last I remember. And next I remember I was in intensive care. Wow. And I, was, and I don't know what happened. And I was out, out of it. So I don't remember anything that happened to me in the ensuing days. But there were, God, there was at least 10 days I didn't know anything. And so when I woke up in intensive care, my 20-year-old son said to me, here's what happened to you. You had this and that, and you knew heart. I mean, you had, had a stent to your heart and all that. And the doctors think you, think you were going to die. And I said, well, if all that you're telling me is true, I want to die. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live. And he started to cry. And... Uh, I hadn't seen him cry since he was three years old. And he said, you can't leave. You can't leave. And I hung by that. And every time I see him, I tell him, you saved my life. So that was the only interruption. I've never been, you know, out of work. How important is family to you in your life? 
Well, I'm not good at marriage. <laughs> I was going to stay away from that one. <laughs> marriage is not my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a good father. Yeah, I sense that. Care about my kids, listen to my kids. I have three grown. I have a daughter and two sons live in Florida. And my two boys live here, 19 and 20. And I get a kick out of watching children develop and how they think and kids, kids, kids are smart and they are curious and they ask good questions. So on a personal level, I'm not the best family man. I wouldn't say that's my strong suit, but I'm a good father. And that's my proudest, the proudest achievement is being a father. You, do you have kids? Yeah, I've got a five and a half year old little son, Noah. Yeah. Nothing tops it, right? Nothing. Because when you have little children, that's the only person in your life totally dependent on you. You don't desert them, and it's unrequited. My son could rob a bank, I'd be there for him. Mm. That's real. I think that's important. Mm. You, I want to be a little bit selfish now. Um, you know, obviously with podcasting taking off and the level that it is, you know, interviewing has become, you know, quite an, an important and valuable commodity as a, as a skill and as a talent. Um, and you've already given some incredible insights into what makes you the interviewer you are, you know, being very curious, not preparing, gives, gives you the sense of intrigue that is genuine with the audience. But I'm curious to know, apart from curiosity, what other traits do you believe are required in order to become one of the greats? Listen, that's the first thing, listening. Listening is as important as asking a question because you gotta be involved, you have to be able to follow up and you therefore must listen, you must be involved. Other traits are naturally be a good broadcaster, a professionalism, composure, uh, I'm, I think every good interviewer is a control freak. Tick. <laughs> no, you want to be, you want to control the situation. Yeah, I get it. It's like a sale. And it is yeah. part of the style. And the great ones are control freaks. Mm. I don't know when I, the word great gets bandied around. But certainly I know when I go on the air Monday morning, I will control that half hour. Mm. Because once the light goes on, nothing anybody can do. You control this, this, the, what you're doing right now. And you're going to edit it, so you'll probably decide what you like best, what you don't like. But you're controlling it. I have no control over this situation, except I could get up and leave. But I have no control. And control is a big factor. If you're afraid to be, to do that, if you're seriously concerned that I, geez, I, 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 I got to go and interview this guy for a half hour, don't do it. Don't do it. Own the moment. Mm. Now you do that. You own this moment. You know that. I'm not telling you anything new. You own, you, you know you own this moment. Well, I feel very honored to be even put in, in a similar category. But I'm going to assume in every situation, you've got like a toolbox, um, you know, things that you pull out when you do your work. And when it comes to the questioning process, like is there a range of tools that you that you always go to or is it very much like your your preparation where you're like, okay, I'm not even gonna think about what I'm gonna ask 
Or do no you just one's think ever asked me that, and so I never thought about it. Wow. Do I have a range of tools? I'm a terrible mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't hang up pictures on the wall. Yeah. What are my tools? Very good question, Kerwin. I will use that question because <laughs> we also are thieves. Yeah, <laughs> I guess in many respects. I don't know what tools I have. I know I have a, I have a good voice. Yeah. I know I can ask good questions. I know. But tools, I have to think about it, Kerwin, and a good interview caused you to think. Peter Ustinov said to me once, a good interview makes you think about things you aren't thinking about. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's now I was not I have not used the word tools. I don't ever remember using the word tools. So you have spurred in me a new question, it's a good question to answer because I have to think about it. Mm. And I would guess that the first tool is is um, curiosity. Mm. If you're not curious, forget it. And the second tool is composure. The third tool is controlling the situation. The fourth tool is understanding. When has a guest hit the plateau that you're right? Sometimes you have to interrupt. Don't be afraid to interrupt. See, you're thinking for the audience. Your audience watching or listening, you're thinking for them. And when you interrupt, it's because you perceive that they're bored or they've heard enough. Mm. So that's one of my tools, but you've given me a very good Kerwin. Thank you. Completely, uh, I'd love to say it was planned to the detail, but uh, you do ask a lot of great questions, but one of the things that I've also observed is how you get to the heart of things uh, and you bring you know, a level of emotion out in some respects from individuals. That's, I can't explain that. Yeah. Is, is there empathy? What well, is there a level of empathy behind that? Is yeah, there? I guess I grew up with it. I was always good with it. I was, I, teachers like me and I asked questions. I cared. They knew that I had tuned out the whole world when they're there. By the way, I do do that. I tune out everything. It doesn't matter if I'm doing you today and tomorrow I'm doing the president that the fact of who I'm doing tomorrow doesn't affect today. I'm into you. Mm. They know I'm into you. And that's very important to me. So I've always been able, people just respond to me. I don't, I'm, they responded to me when I was a kid. Well, it's almost like you have this innate ability to develop really quick rapport. Yeah, I, that comes with eye contact, but I will do a lot of satellite interviews where you yeah. can't have a, uh, Rapport comes down, I think they sense that one, I like them, this is the guest. Two, I have no agenda. I'm not there to embarrass, I'm not there to praise, I'm there to learn. Mm. That's what I want to make this hour more learning. And if it's in the entertainment realm, I'm doing comedians, I want it to be funny. I want, but I want the moment and there is a moment when you know you've got that person and you're hooking with me, it occurs quickly with a guest. It occurs quickly. I can draw a guest out fast, but I don't know how I do it. I guess I have the tools, mm, you, you <laughs> but do. they're inborn tools. Yeah. I didn't take any lesson in interviewing.
it's almost like you have this ability to create a very safe bubble very quickly that drops the defenses and allows people to be yeah. vulnerable. But I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, I know it's true. I know I can. Yeah. Like Sinatra sent me a letter which I prize and have framed in which he said, the camera disappeared. And then he said, you, my friend, have an extraordinary talent. Don't blow it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't mess it up. But that, what, with that, and that flipped me. I mean, I never went to college. I, I came right out of high school, did a bunch of odd jobs before I got into broadcasting, which was my number one thrill. I was a disc jockey, as I said. But um, then, and now I've gotten to another world, the world of stand-up. I do a lot of comedy. I tour. I speak at conventions. I never speak seriously. A lot of times they expect it to be serious because I've done so many serious programs. So I love standing on a stage and mixing it up with the audience and getting them to respond because laughter is a lot like love. If you can make someone laugh, that's an extra, and I love comedians. Of all the, the professions, mm. comedians are my favorite. They stand alone on a stage and make people laugh. You can get no help, no band, no, no artist rendering, no, written uh, 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 performer, for, for example, Improv. this is it, stand it, make me laugh. And most audiences, that's what they sit there, make me laugh. I'm and, I, and I love making them laugh. And you're very good at it. I'm going to also assume you've had situations before where people haven't just opened up to you. You know, you've had tough characters who perhaps have been maybe either burnt by the media or just by their situation in life. How have you found it best in those situations to create a level of vulnerability? Um, and again, I'm asking this with a level of naivete, uh, having not necessarily watched all of your interviews, having watched a lot of your interviews, but do you ever use vulnerability perhaps as one of your tools? I'm sure I do. I don't see, I don't think about it. Yeah. I just do it. You just do it. And I so I never have, I don't go around thinking of what do I do professionally? What are my tools? What is this? I just go on the air. In other words, if, if, let's say right now, a light just appeared and we're on live. All right. My guest is Kerwin. Kerwin, thrilled to have you here. Now, Kerwin, do you ever think of leaving Australia? I try to get you to think about things you haven't thought about. But I, I could do it. I could broadcast, I could broadcast traffic. <laughs> But of course, I've been doing it so long. Yeah. And when you've done something so long. It just becomes second yeah, I don't want to say it's a piece of cake, but it's a piece of cake. And so I, I, I work into people who are vulnerable and I can make that vulnerability go away. And especially if they've had bad news or were being bad wrapped, they know I trust them. I don't know what I'm saying that makes them trust me, but they know, I know. Did you ever have like a tough cookie, so tough that you're like, oof? Yeah, Robert Mitchum, the wonderful actor, drove me nuts, drove me nuts, because he everything was one word, 
Oh, you know any interviewer knows what a one word you can't follow up. There's no sense listening. And Mitchum, who was was on CNN, and I would ask him, what do you think, what did you think about working with uh, the great Joseph Kukar, the great director? Nah, can't remember him. What do you think of Humphrey Bogart? He's all right, I guess. That's what I was getting. So when, when the interview ended, it was 15 minutes. It felt like an hour. And I said to him, thank you very much. And he said, how did I do? <laughs> <laughs> he asked for a report card. Yeah, you, but those are, are, they're few and far between. I've been very fortunate. Mm. I haven't run into the Mitchums. See, but I still love him as an actor. Mm. And that did not affect my liking of him as an actor. I pushed it aside. Do you find yourself as someone in your, because one of the things I believe that gives you the, the, the ability to penetrate so deeply is your ability to come across so unbiased, you know, very accepting, you know, non-judgmental. Non-judgmental. Yeah. Someone asked me, if you had interviewed Osama bin Laden, man killed 3,000 people in one day with bombs in him, what would you ask him? Osama bin Laden. And that was just thrown at me in an interview. So I said, my first, our first question would not have been, why did you kill 3,000 people in one day? Why did you send all those planes? My first question would be, you, you were born into one of the richest families in Saudi Arabia. Why do you leave to live in caves? And that then brings to me an understanding of how, as a friend of mine, Herbie Cohen likes to say, bad people don't think they're bad. Mm. Hitler didn't comb his hair in the morning and say, I am a terrible person. I'm a horrible person. I don't love my, he didn't do that. So if I can find out what made Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden, what made Hitler, Hitler, that's, that's what I'm there for. Mm. Not to yell at them, not to scream at, the, scream at them. That's not, my, that's not my role. You want someone like that, hire somebody else. I want to learn. What are your go-to questions or angles? I know from what I'm sensing, your toolbox, toolbox is incredibly diverse There's a lo- and mostly innate. Um, but do you ever have your either go-to questions that you just know are going to give you the result or a good result every time or an angle or a direction that you typically will use or is it different every single time? It's different every Cohen. I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know what I do. Ohio State University years ago asked me to do a course on interviewing, a visiting course like once a week. And I said, how do, how do I teach it? I, don't, I wouldn't know how to, I guess I'd be curious, ask short questions, have no agenda, but that's okay, now we're done, now is what happens on the second week of the course. Um, but also another thing, I have great respect for my business. I have great respect for this camera mm. and uh, the whole medium of television and radio I just, it's such a joy to have worked in this, to have given 62, 63 years doing something you love. 
How many people have had the pleasure of doing that? And then this damn foot came along, and I haven't been walking well until it gets better from the stroke. It unnerves me. You know what drives me crazy? Depending on other people. Mm. I, I have to be driven around in a wheelchair. Terrible. Doesn't sit well. I'm short-tempered. <laughs> I don't mean to be short-tempered. Yeah. But I am short-tempered. Yeah, and I imagine this would amplify. I don't like red lights. <laughs> <laughs> and yellow ones don't exist. Lateness. I hate lateness. Don't be late. Yeah. Don't keep me sitting on an airplane and give me some lies, because I believe airlines lie. Mm. Don't you think airlines lie? All the time. All, All the time. I think they give you a lying test, and if you lie good, they hire you. Mm. Wow. Pilots. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when, when a pilot gives you, uh, he's thinking of what to say. Uh... Having a little computer problem up here. Yeah. <laughs> and it should all be, uh, should, we should have it turned around in uh, 45 minutes. Oh, baloney. I know you are very natural with what you do, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there one more time and in the hope that there might be something there for the young broadcasters coming through. In the course that you ended up running uh, over the weeks that you ran it, did you ever surmise one or two or three basic questions that any good broadcaster could use as a start? Sure. First of all, always remember the five basics. Who, what, where, when, why. Oh, great. They'll never hurt you down. And then who, what, where, when, why. Covers a lot of bases. Mm. I can't make you curious. So... If, if your desire to be an interviewer and not curious, you, you're not going to make it. Yeah. you, you got to be curious. Um, and think about questions that are short, but people can relate to. So here's who, what, where, when, why. Why did you do that? Whatever it is the person did and just explain it. Why? Why did you do that? Who was a great influencer in your life. Where do you think you are right now? When this, whatever this incident was, when it happened in your life, how did it affect your life? Those are all who, what, where, when, why. Wow. Just use them. Yeah. Use them. They're effective. And when, of course, is when have you changed or when has this developed and uh, I feel like that's a little mini MBA just right there in you can't go wrong with who, who what where when why and too many and I remember Bob and Ray were a great comedy team years ago radio in uh, in America and uh, they would do characters every day and they had one character Wally Blue they did all the voices and Wally Blue was the world's worst interviewer but he thought he was the best. And Wally Blue did not listen. So they would do it. I'm on the street now, and here comes a gentleman. I'm Wally Blue. Sir, it's not very nice to see you. So what do you do for a living? I'm a mailman. Oh, a mailman, what brings you to New York? I'm here to 
put a bomb in the UN building. Are you married? Why <laughs> 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 Um, I'm only going to ask you two more questions. I, I forgot to look at the time when we started, so I, I want to respect yours deeply. And so I'll finish with two last final questions. The first one is, in the industry of broadcasting and interviewing, who is it you most admire? Well, as a kid, I admired Edward Almoro. I love Mike Wallace. We work completely different, but I love him. There was a, a, a local television radio host, Barry Gray. I admired him a lot. Today, there aren't any. I'll tell you why there aren't. Because every television show I watch has four panelists and a host. They don't get into anything except the current news. So I don't know the person. I can't learn from that person. So I wonder if my age of broadcasting, our interviews, is dead. I hope not. Or lost, waiting to be rediscovered. Yeah. And lastly, mate, what do you want to be remembered for? There, and again, I don't ask this as a cliche question. I, I've read um, what you would desire your legacy to be, and so I, I guess I have a, a level okay. of pre-awareness. I would say this. He entertained and informed. And those are two great ingredients that he gave to the world of broadcasting. He didn't just educate you, didn't just inform you, but he entertained you. He did it in a manner that people didn't turn off the set. They leaned forward to hear more. And he tried to make, he tried to make what he did. He might have tried to make things better. If I've made things better for humanity or for one person, I've, I've, I'm, boy, I'm, I'm glad I've been around. I'm not ready to go. No. Although I'm 85 goddamn years old. <laughs> and sharper than most 25-year-olds, if we're going to be honest. Uh, Larry, this is going to go down as one of my greatest memories. Oh, thank you, Colin. Um, as someone who is an aspiring, I'm not a journalist. I've never studied journalism. You're not aspiring anymore. You've aspired. I am inspired by what you've done in the... Yeah, the legacy that you've left and the, the pathway that you've paved. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show. My That's pleasure, Kerwin. Thank you so pleasure. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the, the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, KerwinRay.com and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.